Welcome to another episode of Capital Roots, brought to you by Capital Farm Credit, where we bring you the experts in the ag industry. In addition to a few Texas legends along the way, we're your hosts, Joe Patronella and Clint Cryer. Thank you for listening. Now let's get back to our roots. Welcome to another episode of Capital Roots. Today, we've got Jim Brett Campbell, Executive Director of the National Ranching Heritage Center. Jim Brett, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here. Uh, love uh, our partnership with uh, Capital Farm Credit and just uh, love getting to work with y'all. Hey, we love getting to work with y'all. And I love being here this morning. This is the coolest building I've ever been in. I'm so stoked to be here. Yep, I'm a lifelong West Texan from the Lubbock area. And I can say this is one of the coolest places in I honestly think it's one of the coolest places in the state, if not the country, but definitely in the region. I mean, we really t- refer to it as one of the most unique places in the universe. But, you know, if you want to <laughs> limit it to, uh, you know, this West Texas area, that's fine. But, I like uh, it. I like it. I just didn't realize there, any, it, there was anything outside of Texas anyway. So. That's, that's, that's true. So, <laughs> right. uh, but, right. uh, it, it's, a, it's an amazing facility. I get to stand on the shoulders of, you know, an amazing group of people that have built this facility over the last 50 years. It, um, it really has been a labor of love uh, by the entire ranching industry um you know so it's just uh you know i i pinch myself every day when i get to come in this building and and uh, and get to see the work that that's been put into it and we get to do the fun things now of being able to promote it and bring new people in and and uh, and add to it so it's it's just a an amazing opportunity i'm extremely blessed to be part of it yeah Y'all got a heck of an addition coming on right now. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we've always done an amazing job, I think, of telling the history uh, of ranching. You know, the the focus of the collection is still our our 55 historic ranching structures that have been moved and restored um, and maintained here at the Ranching Heritage Center. And and they tell an amazing story starting in the 1700s all the way up through the modern day. but more and more we found ourselves having to tell people and guess what is a ranch you know they would come out here they'd be this is amazing you know we love getting to see all these historical structures and and the the tools and the instruments that that uh, the pioneers used but what is a ranch um and so you know as we started exploring how do we answer that story um our uh, director of education, Julie Hodges, was a huge uh, Hank the Cow Dog and John R. Erickson fan. Um, and so really just kind of as a fan more than anything else, uh, Julie invited John down to do a, a concert. I think it was like at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. She thought, you know, promoting it through social media and everything. And this was in 2015. Um, you know, we might have a couple hundred folks show up. We had over a thousand people flood into our patio and all of a sudden she realizes that um, there's this incredible power in this Hank the Cowdog brand Um, and Hank and John had written three books that tell all about modern ranching through the voice of Hank. Um, But he had never published them. They had been in a filing cabinet for 10 years. Um, And so he told Julie about these books and she immediately recognized, hey, these have incredible power and when she read them um the first one is uh, ranching and livestock the second one is cowboys and horses and the third one was ranch wildlife and so they told this incredible story plus being an educator she recognized um that they matched up with science and social studies uh you know, lessons for schools. Yeah, perfect fit. It was a perfect fit. So we had some generous donors that helped us publish the books. We start distributing them to schools. Um, Julie then followed up. She had worked with uh, a curriculum specialist to actually write curriculum for each one of the books that we now distribute to schools all across the state of Texas and beyond. Um, but then, um, Really, in, in probably 2017, they started thinking, maybe we need to do an exhibit um, that that follows up on that. And so it started off kind of with a, a small concept of just one exhibit in one of our small galleries that would sort of follow up on this ranch life concept. Um, and then it began to balloon. Oh, yeah. And so when I got here in 2017, um, they were already starting to, to look at, you know, what 
what could a, a, a large scale exhibit look like? Um, and so, you know, our first uh, preliminary um, looks at what is now the Cash Family Ranch Life Learning Center that will open in October um, was about a $2 million, you know, proposed project with had an indoor and outdoor exhibit. And we just kept building onto it. And as we went out to donors, um, you know, everybody was like, but we need to add this and we need, you know, we need to add the business of ranching and, and, uh, and the lifestyle of ranching and the ethos and, and the character uh, of ranching. And so um, we will now open an $8.2 million addition, uh, um, which we call the Cash Family Ranch Life Learning Center. Um, that tells all about modern ranching through the voice of Hank the Cowdog. Um, so it's an amazing addition where you can't can't wait to get it open in the middle of October. Can we focus a little more on Hank the Cowdog? Because that was Absolutely. a huge part of my childhood. Sure. I mean, like, we listened to those audiobooks on every family vacation. <laughs> uh, Miss Darla, Drover, that was, they were like, they were basically our own dogs, not really oh, yeah. ours. Absolutely. Every child sure. of the 90s. So uh, how are they going to be featured in this? Well, so Hank truly is the, the guide uh, through the entire exhibit. And Y'all can't so, see my face, but I'm like, just, my mouth <laughs> yeah, is on the, the yeah. Well, I, I grew up, in fact, uh, so John and his wife, Chris, and I, have, you know, through this journey, have gotten to be really good friends. And, and uh, so that, you know, I, I really kind of geek out over that. Yeah. that I, you know, so many of my heroes I get to call uh-huh. friends these days. But um, when the first time they came out to my house for dinner, um, I had to bring out my autographed uh, Hank the Cowdog book that he signed for me uh, when uh, when he came to uh, uh, probably West Central Elementary School in Hereford, Texas, when I was in third grade. Okay. And uh, yeah. and so he signed that book for me. I still have it. Of course you and, do. And uh, um, so... So they're just amazing people, but no, John. You know, you know, most people probably know if you're from this area anyway. You kind of know a little bit about John's history. Um, he was an amazing author. Um, uh, actually, went to Harvard Divinity School, uh, but he was six months short of getting his degree. And he was walking down, you know, one of the the lanes in in Harvard, and he's like, "This isn't where I belong." And so he came back and he became just a ranch cowboy. He was a, a you know, day working cowboy and then worked to work for several ranches in the panhandle and the, the panhandle of Oklahoma. And, and uh, um, you know, just you know, working for $500 a month and, and uh, you know, was a cowboy. But he also was dedicated to riding every single day. Um, and wrote actually wrote a really great book about the you know, the, uh, the modern day cowboy uh, in the late seventies and early eighties. It's a great read if you ever have a chance to to get hold of it. Um, but then he was also writing uh, magazine articles for the Cattleman Magazine yep. and Western Horseman and Texas Parks and Wildlife. Lots, you know, he was writing a lot. He he was still dedicated, even as a cowboy. He would get up and write for four hours a day before he went to work. And those aren't late mornings. No, nope. yeah, no, those <laughs> are early mornings. So, uh, uh, but uh, he, uh, the genesis of Hank the Cowdog was he wrote a short story for the Cattleman Magazine that yep. featured this voice, you know, this dog named Hank, um, who was a uh, Australian Shepherd. who was kind of the inspiration for it. That was always in the way. Uh, but always thought he was helping. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, you know, you know, John's, uh, ranch and office burned in the fires in 2017. And so he lost his 2000 rejection letters that he had sent to publishers trying to get Hank the cow dog published once he decided to actually write books. 2000. 2000. Wow. And, uh, That's so a lot of motivation right there. Yeah. Uh, but he stuck with it, and it, you know, uh, he eventually started self-publishing those books in the early '80s uh, out of his garage um, as part of Maverick Books, which is uh, aptly named. And uh, so, started publishing these books. He he went to you know uh, homeschool conferences and and everything else. He eventually was moved over to Penguin Books, and they were published all over the world. Um, there's now more than 10 million. Uh, Hank the Cowdog books in print. They're in countries all across the world. In fact, you know, John often talks about uh, that they cross borders and and uh, 
you know, cultural differences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he just recently wrote, I mean, the, those Hank Cowdog books are in, are in Iraq and Iran uh, and places that don't normally like Americans, uh, but they they have, you know, an affinity for this dog. And the stories that, that John tells uh, about this, you know, Texas Panhandle and, and probably that sort of rural life and the challenges that we all experience and um, resonate with rural folks all across the world. So, uh, it truly is an amazing story, um, but through the the concert that Julie put together and these uh, Ranch Life books that Hank or that John had written, um, you know we uh, we were able to form a partnership, um, and That's we're awesome. extremely blessed. Yeah, it's it's been so cool um, to be able to get to experience it. And you know, like I say, I was a a Hank fan myself. Yeah, exactly. uh, we listened to one story. I'll, I'll show you with you about the audiobooks. Uh, um, you know, John was so poor in the beginning, you know, he had to, he, he looked into hiring some voice talent to do the audiobooks and he couldn't afford it. So he just started doing the audiobooks himself and voicing changing the voice of each and, dog and, and changing, the, you know, fantastic. he, so he, and he eventually did every character himself. And one of his fans actually counted it up. There are 153 characters so far. Wow. Um, and he does them all himself. And, <laughs> yeah. and so yeah. that's pretty amazing. Hey, Joe, I bet if you looked it up he might have a podcast in today's age you never know Clint, i gotta focus on the task at hand okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a side note for you're, later you're stuck on the audiobooks yeah. huh okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly no, you one know, task at a time yeah, that's <laughs> okay. right. i mean i can't tell you how many you know as we interact with schools and and you know guests that come in here and i'm sure we'll hear the story so much more when we get ranch life actually open but uh, boys especially how many boys grew up reading Hank the cow dog and their moms will tell us that's the only books you know little joe would read um was you know Hank the cow dog that's the only book my dad would read <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then you know and then how many of them took road trips listening to these audiobooks um so it is a huge opportunity for us when we go to teacher conferences now um you know, we have a whole a lot whole generation of teachers who grew up reading Hank the Cowdog. And so they're turning a corner and see our Hank the Cowdog display for our ranch life mm-hmm. curriculum. And I mean they'll scream and run up to the yeah. booth, you know, so excited to get to be October. part of it. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. Pretty cool. So. That's an awesome sounds like an awesome wing. Mm-hmm. So we'd be remiss if we didn't just talk specifically about the Ranching Heritage Center. You bet. Yeah. You know, tell us about the genesis and why it exists. Yeah. So, you know, the Ranching Heritage Center has a really an amazing and rich history um uh, president grover murray of the university um in the mid 1960s and dr murray was a was a huge mover and shaker he initiated a lot of of great things here at the at texas tech Uh, but he saw an outdoor museum in norway of all places and sort of brought that concept back and the early concept was that it was going to be a whole um, study of semi-arid places in the world and so there was going to be an African section and an Australian section and a South American section, all these you know semi-arid areas. Um, but it was the ranching piece of it that took off because he engaged the ranching community. Um, and so folks like um, D. Burns, who was the longtime manager of the Pitchfork Ranch, and um, John Lott of the Slaughter Ranches, and um, Frank Chapel of the Spade Ranches, they kind of came together and and uh, because of their work um, and, and really just, you know, they're throwing themselves behind this project, they brought the Ranching Heritage Center to life. Um, so we were part of the university. Um, this was all just flat um, cotton land that was on the north side of campus, on the north side of the Brownfield Highway at the time, now the Marsha Sharp Freeway. Um, and so they designated this land and um, the ranching community started reaching out and said, you know, we want to, and the focus at that time was really on the architecture. You know, in the mid sixties, we were going through a phase where a lot of those original outbuildings and, and homes and pens and everything were needing to be updated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of them, you know, at that time they were getting approaching a hundred years old in those days. Um, and so the word started getting out. In fact, they, they, so they had to form a committee to actually decide what they were going to take because they were getting offered so So many things. Um, 
you know, people would call in, well, I've, you know, I've got this log cabin, I've got, you know, a set of pins, I've got oh. a ranch house that we want to donate. And so they actually started selecting and then they were really smart. Um, and they started to establish them in a historical timeline. Sure. And so when you come out to the Ranching Heritage Center today, we start in the 1700s with the Spanish land grant era. We work our way through the Republic of Texas era with the El Capote cabin. And then we just go through uh, the rest of, of the historical time period. And, and we kind of finish up with the Pitchfork Cookhouse, um, which was built in 1900. It was in continuous use until 2010 when it moved here. And the ranch just needed a little larger facility and a more modern kitchen and some things like that. So, so the Pitchfork Land and Cattle Company donated that structure to us. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I think we may talk about um, my time at the American Quarter Horse Association here in a minute, but um, I ate in the cookhouse multiple times when my friend Bob Morehouse was the manager of Pitchforks and I'd be out there doing stories. Yep. Um, so I, you know, I actually got to see it used um, and ate in it. Uh, and so it's one, it's kind of one that's really close to my heart that, uh, that it's moved here. But, but our, our real mission, uh, Clint, is that we, uh, we tell the story of ranching uh, west of the Mississippi River over the past 200 years. And, and so we do that through, you know, our uh, historical park um, that has 55 historic ranching structures now, a mile and a half of hard surface walkways, um, you know, where people can really, um, and, you know, you've been here, you, you've seen our berms uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, give us some topography, um, but, you know, when you're on the back side, the south side of the historical park, you're only feet from the Marsha Sharp Freeway. Yep. But it's like stepping into another place in time. It is. It's not like being in Lubbock County, honestly. It is. Maybe it in is. eastern Lubbock County. Right. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I think of my earliest exposure to the Ranching Heritage Center. I uh, was born in Plainview, uh, moved to Lubbock, I think in 1980, but I remember coming to the coming to the Ranch and Heritage Center not too long after, learning about the Pitchfork, learning about the Four Sixes, the Four Sixes barn. You bet this big, you know, big red barn that's synonymous. Yes, sir. And I remember the the first time we ever went east to Dallas, you know, on a family trip and driving through Guthrie, I was like, oh. yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> that no, is so cool. This is this is yeah. the Four Sixes for sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and the Pitchfork, same thing. You know. Yeah driving you get to see both of them if you go that way it's really really cool it is yeah no it's it's just been a you know an amazing journey really um you know we have six to eight thousand school kids that come through in any given year uh, on school field trips and so you don't know how many times i've heard kind of that story of yeah i came Mm -hmm. here in third grade when on a field trip um and i love that love that place and so um you know it's we've just been part of an amazing journey now for you know the the ranching industry continues to support us um you know it uh, we have a, a ranching heritage association that has uh, a little more than 1500 members in 42 states and one of the things i think is really cool about that is many of our members have never actually visited this facility um you know we want them all to come at some point in time but they believe in the mission of this place and uh, they they believe in preserving um, this sort of unique culture you know my friend red steagall says you know the values of cow country um, were engendered in, in honesty and integrity and uh, doing your best for your fellow man, um, you know, um, your faith in God. Um, and that was all because of really the, the toughness of this place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was, it was not an easy place. Yep. Um, and yep. there was no, there was no place for a quitter or a liar, um, at the campfire, uh, around, um, one of those trail drives or, or when they were starting these early ranches. And so it really, it really did, um, become a, this sort of unique culture, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's sort of like the fabric of West Texas. It is. I call yeah. it the underdog mentality. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, you talked a little bit about membership. How does a person become a member of the Ranching Heritage? You bet. So, um, so as I mentioned, you know, we, we are supported in largely in large part by membership through the Ranching Heritage Association. And so uh, it's real simple. Uh, you can give us a call here at the National Ranching Heritage Center or you can visit our website, ranchingheritage.org. Um, and uh, click on the membership button and uh, and become a member and and uh, you know we uh, uh, it truly is uh, m- more of a giving society um, that you know, your membership supports 
um, the work and the activities of this place, uh, maintaining some of these uh, historic structures that are approaching 200 years old and being able to continue telling the story. And so um, we have membership opportunities all the way from $45 a year to $10,000 a year. And we have folks at all, all of those levels. Um, but uh, really appreciate that continued support. Um, you know, of people from um, that grew up in the ranching industry or that continue to have a love for it. And, and that's really how, how we make all this happen. I'm pretty sure Joe would like to uh, sign up for the $10,000 level. Absolutely. If we could get that yeah, done no, today. You know. If it gets me a lifetime uh, membership to the Hank Cowdog, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely going to put that down. <laughs> yeah. it, it is definitely hey, a worthy. We have that on tape, right? Yeah. We yeah. do. It's recorded. Okay. It's official. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, all joking aside, it's a wonderful cause. And it, it, for those that weren't involved in it or even are that have never been here, it helps tell the story for individuals that have no background in ag and, and can come here on a school trip and understand. And that may be their first foray into ag. So it's a very important mission. I think it's wonderful what y'all do. You mentioned something. I'd like to take us back to, you know, just maybe the genesis of this, but you mentioned what is a ranch? Yeah. And, and that was part of the, the, the wing, the new wing that we were talking about. But I ask myself that all the time as a cow-calf guy. Like, yeah. everybody has yeah. a different what, definition. What, it's what a am hard I doing thing. here? Yeah, it's a know? hard thing to put a, a nose on, you know? Yeah. I don't ask that out of ignorance, but it, just for the sake of discussion, especially for education of agriculture, that's one of the things that we we like to do on this podcast. You bet. But. Yeah, I think, you know, the the, uh, the way that, that John describes it in the books is where, you know, we, we kind of is that... Um, you know, it is growing, uh, you know, the native or improved forage um, that humans can't consume um, in order to turn or to have cows um, turn that into beef. Um, and so that really, you know, is, is sort of our definition. And, and it's differentiated from, from farming where you're, uh, you know, producing something to be able to, to have an end product. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but really, you know, um, you know, one of the things that's kind of amazing about cattle is being able to use that four chambered stomach uh, to be able to to produce, you know, hamburgers and steaks and roasts and, and all the things that we're able to to consume that as a higher level protein, um, you know, as opposed to all of us having to eat soy all the time. So yep. um, I think that's a pretty good trade off. Yep. I think that's uh, a pretty good answer. I don't know that anybody ever backs down enough to say or backs it out enough from their daily operations to say, what is ranching? That's a really good, simple answer. Yeah, no. To um, a hard process. Yeah, right? it, it is a hard process. <clears throat> you know, I think one of our challenges is we've, you know, put all the, the uh, content together for this amazing, you know, indoor-outdoor exhibit that is the Ranch Life Learning Center is, um, you know, it gets pretty complicated pretty quick. And being able to distill that, you know, we our, our guests um, that come here to the, to the Ranching Heritage Center, Heritage Center um, come from all walks of life. I mean, it, it's actually been one of my surprises. I really felt like, you know, the majority of our guests would be folks that sort of had a, a little bit of a background or, or grandma and grandpa, you know, had a farm. And, and so they still had that affinity. But we literally have people, you know, from every socioeconomic background, every culture, um, you know, with um, there's a lot of international students that, that go to the university, um, you know, so so it is every race, creed, um, religion that comes to this place that are looking um to learn more, you know, about this culture that we probably all take for granted. Definitely. And uh, so, you know, that's been one of the amazing parts to me. But but, but because of that, we needed to d d distill it down. And, and really our guiding light through all of that has been John's books. Um, or occasionally, sometimes I just have to pick up the phone and say, John, how would you describe this? And, uh, and he's, he's been amazing about that. Um, and, and Julie Hodges, who's our um, Helen DeVitt Jones Endowed Director of Education, is amazing too. And, and she's able to kind of bridge that gap. And then because, um, you know, my family ranches, and, and so I have a background in it, but, you know, I'm also a communications and a marketing guy and um, have written, a, you know, a fair amount myself and, and done a lot of communications work you know, I've kind of been able to help in that translation piece too, but you know, how do we, how do we tell this amazing story, um, in a way that, that, uh, you know, every member of the public can, can come and walk away with something. They may not get every concept, 
Mm-hmm. But, but mm-hmm. you know, if they go away knowing that, that at, at our heart, ranchers are grass farmers mm-hmm. um, and, and we are the stewards of this land. Stewards, that's yeah. the word I want to use because it's often not associated and we really are. We really are. You know, if you're doing it right, you know, occasionally we get it wrong, but, you know, but uh, if we're doing it right, we're, we're caring for this land. And I think another thing that often is lost on people, animal husbandry is a huge component to it. Sure. And, and that's not seen a lot you know we we care for those animals hugely while they're with us yeah absolutely you know i think uh uh, you know the vast majority of of ranchers you know love their land um they love the this livestock that's been given to our care um and and uh and we we care for them on a daily basis and uh hourly sometimes and and hourly sometimes yeah no (laughs) absolutely no for sure um so so i think you know, it's just been an amazing journey to be able to, to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but, to, you know, to be able to do it through a, a voice like Hank the Cowdog, um, you know, something I probably should share with you all is that um, John had been given multiple opportunities to partner with different groups. Um, I mean, he had been approached by Nickelodeon, uh, by Disney. Um, you know, there was a, uh, an animated cartoon that, uh, some of you may remember from, uh, CBS years ago, yeah. um, that, you know, didn't run a, a real long time. The, the challenge with all of those is that, um, many times they would ask John to give up editorial control, um, and they would want to take Hank's story and, and maybe morph it into something else. He just, and, and Hank so gets lost in the city. I yep. see where that goes immediately. Yeah. You know? you know, and so, so John has always protected that brand really tightly. Um, and so we just feel immensely, you know, privileged to be able to partner with him. Um, and it, but it kind of shows, I think what the authenticity of this place is and, yep. and our mission to be able to partner with somebody like like John R. Erickson. Yeah. So as you were talking, one of the things that the word that came to mind was integrity. So I think about, you know, especially what we like to talk about a lot is the education sure. of agriculture. You know, everybody has to eat, everybody has to be clothed. That's right. Um, yeah. I think sometimes we forget about the simplicity of that, you know, going back to, you know, yeah. I was thinking about how awesome it is that the Ranching Heritage Center exists from an education aspect to, to educate all those people. There's a lot that goes into that, you know, the history, the legacy, um, everything that comes along with with what the Ranching Heritage Center it, it is, but you mentioned the word beef. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's interesting that all of this really is about the production of beef as a food to yeah. nourish a people. We talk about sheep and goats a little bit, but you know, <laughs> well, around here it's about yeah. beef. <laughs> I hear so, you. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. No. Um, you know, I think that's the and and I think we all struggle with it. I mean, you know, and there's been huge industry initiatives, you know, through NCBA and the beef. It's what's for dinner. You know, uh, advertising. I think one of the things that's really cool for us is. Um, you know, we don't get any pushback um, when we tell it through the voice of Hank the Cowdog. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're able to tell the story. In fact, we're looking at even partnering with um, Texas Beef Council and, and some of those larger groups because, um, it, you know, with them, sometimes it is the industry um, providing the message. And so there's a certain amount of skepticism that you have to, to overcome yeah. through that. Um, we don't run across nearly as much of that, you know, because, you know, we're a museum historical park that's telling the story um, as, you know, as the best we can, as authentically as we can. And then when you incorporate the voice of this dog, beloved dog, yeah, yeah, it, uh, it just comes across, um, you know, such so much more organically. And and Mm -hmm. maybe people are, they don't have their, um, you know, opposition up you know mm-hmm. they're just mm-hmm. willing to listen to the story so i think it's it, it has something that that we can take out um to the industry as a whole um to to use in a lot of our communications yeah. definitely it's very palatable and Absolutely. so That's along the lines of palatable yeah. one of the things a big that, word for you Clint. <laughs> it is and you know i'm a simple guy i'm a simple guy <laughs> i didn't have the fancy degree like joe over there but when I think of palatable too, one of the things that I think would be really cool from the education to, to complete the circle, if you come to the Ranch and Heritage Center, experience all that is here, the legacy, the history, all of that. But then at the end, speaking of palatable, you get to partake in beef. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, we've, we've tried to figure out several times how the we could do it. experience. You get a hey, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> 
Brought to you by Joe. It's not deep, but it might be wide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we've actually talked about, you know, having beef sticks or, or something, yeah. you know, that we can actually provide, you know, folks as, as they leave, but jerky, you know, something along those lines. I'm not sure I'm, I'm quite ready to start cooking ribeyes uh, on a daily basis, but, uh, um, you know, I think how we can kind of close that loop and tell the story, you know, through the, the full, full uh, gamut, I think would be really good. Yeah, definitely. Let me, you mentioned something earlier I want to go back to. You said y'all have ranch shows that do living reenactments. Ranch hosts. Ranch yes. hosts. Yes, okay. sir. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that, that I wasn't uh, aware of when I first got here um, is we've had a, uh, basically as long as the Ranching Heritage um, Association and the center have been here, we have an amazing set of volunteers. Um, then in fact, they have their own, uh, 501 C three, uh, membership organization. There's about 150, um, ranch hosts in the association. Um, and they come out, um, and they service in, in a wide variety of ways. Uh, but one of the ways that they do that is they actually come and do living history reenactments. Um, and so, or, or they just, you know, man a structure and tell the story of that structure, um, you know, to our guests as they come through. So on most Saturdays between April and October, um, the ranch hosts are here. Um, they also participate in many of our, um, you know, special events. Um, so we have an amazing uh, event in uh, usually in April in the spring um, that uh, we do living history. We also partner with about 30 student groups, organizations that help tell different aspects of the story of ranching. And that so that ranges from meat science and animal science and the ones you might kind of think about, mm-hmm. um, but to Texas Parks and Wildlife and but even to archaeology and architecture architecture, entomology, talking about pollinators. You know, we don't, we don't have all of these forages and, and forbs to graze on if we don't have pollinators that are, are, are bringing them out. Um, so we tell all that story, but the ranch hosts are a, a really, really critical piece of that. They also give special tours. Um, we, uh, you know, we incorporate, their, you know, but some of them come and, and volunteer. Um, they come and clean saddles. You know, I, pr- I don't know if I've kind of lost track. We probably have 250 saddles in our collection. And, and, uh, so they come to oil saddles and clean those up. They, they help us clean structures. They're an amazing group of people, um, that, uh, that just really exist to serve this place. Okay. And we're so blessed to, to have them. Uh, so it's as not part like of our... a reenactment of the settling of Texas. That's what I had in my mind. Yeah, no, okay. it's, yeah, it's no, uh, that, you know, but I've got enough going on here. Yeah, we have yeah. enough, we okay. have enough go, okay. going on. Yeah. So <laughs> although we have, we have done plays and, 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 sure. and uh, things like that on, on a okay. uh, semi-regular basis, but most typically when they're here, um, they're helping. The, they're, they're helping to interpret and tell the story, um, it, but in live, you know, and so it brings life to the park. Gotcha. Um, and Great. so that one of the things we're we're really um, always striving to do is how do we add life to the park on a daily basis? Um, we fact we just got a grant uh, that we're really excited about from the Helen Jones Foundation here in Lubbock, which has been an amazing supporter of ours. Uh, but they are going to fund for us to add. Um, sound to the park. Um, so as you walk up to the school, for instance, uh, you may hear a teacher uh, giving a lesson and, and kids reciting, or especially walking up to the train um, and being able to hear the steam release from the train, the train whistle, cowboys loading cattle on the backside. That's going to be an amazing addition that just brings life to the park uh, on a daily basis. That's great. Pretty awesome stuff. So I've heard about something else that may be relatively new anyway to the Ranch and Heritage Center, but something, uh, a collection of red, red steagulls. Yeah, no, we just announced uh, that uh, Red and Gail uh, Steagall uh, have uh, given us an estate gift. Um, uh, so we hope we don't physically get it for a long, long time. Uh, but uh, uh, Red is giving us uh, all of his poetry and songwriting manuscripts along wow. with he's been doing, you know, a radio show, um, Cowboy, Cro- Cowboy Corner, um, that's it was syndicated throughout the country. He's now on rural radio on NXM and and uh, um 
but he's been doing that for 30 years. I think the most important part of that is we're also getting the original interviews. So he interviewed cowboys and ranchers that have been, you know, now passed for 30 years. And so being able to access that history, I think is going to be really critical to us telling the story um, going uh, forward. Um, he's also been doing, you know, a television show for uh, almost 20 years. And so um, he's going to give us uh, all of those collections that we'll be able to curate. Um, there's probably some podcasts that can be created, you know, and and disseminated from, you know, a lot of those original interviews. And so some amazing opportunities for us to just continue to tell the story. And nobody tells tells the story like Red does. That's right. I mean, you know, he, he sort of, you know, he and, you know, John kind of has taken it, you know, and kind of on you know the younger side um but then red has been he has kept you know cowboys and ranching uh in front of mainstream audiences and so you know being able to 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 do that through red's voice but it will also be um kind of the launching pad part of red's vision is you know he doesn't want us to just make that a collection where maybe somebody wanders in and and gets a piece of it he wants us to disseminate it and he also wants us to share he has a true passion for us being able to share this culture and there's no better way for us to to share the culture than through our art and gear absolutely Um, along with poetry and songwriting and and the written word and and so um the way red phrases it is you know if we don't write it down and we don't share that with the next generation of of artists and photographers and writers then 50 years from now nobody's going to know how he did it it'll be gone and so um that's really the the concept for the red stigall institute for traditional western arts is that we will sort of take those collections of folks like Red or uh, a Wadi Mitchell or a Don Edwards, but use it as a launching pad to teach the next generation. Um, and, uh, you know, so be able to share, you know, how do you make bits and spurs? How do, how do you make boots and saddles? How do you, you know, craft an incredible, That's impactful fantastic. poem, um, you know, to, to students at Texas Tech? To, you know, we envision that we'll have scholarships that will bring students from all across the country um, and, and artists and artisans um, to come in and do workshops and classes um, and so that's another another addition that will bring life to the park on a on a daily basis. But it's a pretty ambitious campaign. Um, we're uh, starting a $40 million capital campaign to, to fund that wow. project. And uh, uh, so it will be a pretty amazing addition. Take that back, Joel. Do 20000 Oh, yeah. $20 million? Tw- yeah, Oh, yeah. yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. Well, might as well yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, He's I mean, an attorney. Just Listen, half. Whatever I do, Clint's going to match. So. Okay. Right. You keep talking over there. Well, I'm done. Yeah, I'm yeah. done. Yeah. Hey, I'm good with that Monopoly money. <laughs> no, so, it really will be great. Yep. So this being Capital Roots, we like to talk about, you know, passions for agriculture. Takes back to some of your background into Deaf Smith County and, and talk a little <laughs> bit about that. You bet. No, uh, uh, I did have you know, incredible fortune to uh, to grow up in, in uh, Deaf Smith County. I was actually born in uh, uh, Baca County, Colorado. Um, we were, my dad was farming up there and, uh, um, the, uh, so I was born in Lamar because when they started heading off to go to the doctor in Springfield, uh, the doctor had gone on vacation. Um, so they had to drive the, the additional 50 miles to Lamar and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but we, we moved back to Texas. My dad, uh, grew up in Hereford and was from there and we grew back, uh, went back. My dad, uh, worked for an aerial spraying service that he eventually, uh, bought, uh, in the mid eighties. So I, I kind of grew up, uh, working for him. Um, so, uh, I've got to be, uh, his indentured servant, uh, all during the summers. And, and, uh, and, and so I did a lot of flagging and, and, uh, working for him, but, um, my mom's family, uh, had a small cow calf ranch up by Raton, New Mexico. Uh, and so my passion was always, um, the ranch, yes, sir. um, and being part of that. And, you know, so I, I spent, you know, every summer, uh, you know, as much time up there as I possibly could. Um, spring break, Christmas, you know, we we were at the ranch, you know, a, a big part of the time. And and uh, so we, you know, I just was introduced to that. Um, you know, I always laugh about, you know, I got, uh, um, you know, I got my corporate training um, when they would yell at me, you know, to get out of the gate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so, so I, I, I have never had, you know, a counseling in the corporate world that approached, you know, the, uh, the training I got, it's, got on the ranch. It's so funny 
funny that you pretty thick skin because of that. It's funny that you put it that way yesterday. Uh, Joe and I were having a conversation about working cattle. I don't think that he's, he said something similar to that, but I don't, I think it included some more adjectives. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You actually said, I think I could fit in working well with Italians. And I said, we hadn't cussed nearly enough today to tell that. But I think, I think it would work out just fine. Yeah, no, exactly. There's always that famous t-shirt, you know, I'm sorry for what I said when we were working cattle. And uh, we, we, we did live that. You know, know, my, uh, when my uncle married my aunt to, who uh, came from the South Plains of Texas and, and uh, brought her up to the ranch, he, he, he pre-apologizes every, every time that uh, before. Nothing you say when you're in the pens is real it doesn't yeah. count yeah. the second you step out you're like hey man how you doing yeah exactly like, it's, uh, it's just how it so, is you but know? but I that was the cows yeah absolutely it's so, not the cows it's the people it's the people but uh, but that's where i really you know um still to this day um you know i i love uh, being part of getting going and and help on the ranch and i try to get up there you know it's um, a little harder for me when as much as we have going on here at the Ranching Heritage Center, but you know I go and help brand and and ship and and uh, we we still drive our cows uh, up on top of Johnson Mesa for the summer, and so um, that's a pretty oh, that's cool. That's a pretty big drive, you know. Even though we we don't have a bunch of cows, but you know, trying to get uh, you know fairly young babies and mm-hmm. and uh, cows to go up, you know, it's about an eighteen hundred foot elevation rise. Um, you know, over, you know, probably three miles or so. And so it's pretty good, pretty good drive uh, for us to get up there. It's and still it's a pretty country. Though, yeah, you know? no, it, like, it, um, that's neat. Yeah. And what was cool is, you know, I, I got to experience some really, some great cowboys. My, my uncle and my dad was always a good cowboy too, even though he kind of went into the, the farming side of it, but you know, he was a great cowboy. My uncle, my cousin, you know, that, that still work up there and, and run it on a daily basis. So I just have a huge appreciation for them and, and the culture that I got to, to be part of. Um, and so, you know, get to experience on yeah. semi-regular basis. So I got to ask one of the metrics we always like to talk about with anybody that has any influence in or, or exposure to ranching stocking rates in Northeast New Mexico. Uh, you know, we're probably, you know, and we've tried to run on pretty light these days. So we're 30 to 35 acres to, you know, animal unit. So it's, you know, that country's really good if it, if it gets some rain. I hear you. You know, it, uh, you. you know, and, and uh, we could probably go a little heavier than that. Uh, but we really try to be, um, Try to be respectful. The, to the, the funny country. thing is, Joe's going to say the same thing you did. That that our country's pretty good if it gets some rain. But Joe, tell him, tell him. And I called my dad yesterday to confirm because <laughs> we did one, and I went a little. Uh, I was a little really conservative, and then I was a little lighter. But if if we've got good and improved, we could still probably do six because we didn't overstock last year. But right now, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So six. We're we're, six we're probably we're probably eight to nine to ten an acre just because sure. we're not trying to be able to have to sell everything we need right. that's, that's yeah. right where we are so yeah. kind of like you said yeah we, we stock conservatively so we don't have sure. to get in it well you know problem. the first time i you know when i think i was on the but clint hates six. Yeah. <laughs> he just looks at me even at even at nine he'd be like nine yeah yeah no exactly well you know i remember still the, the first time you know i went to the v8 ranch in south texas you know and they were running cat you know however many eight or nine cows per acre That's, uh, yeah. you know and, and of course you know it has to be heavily fertilized and and sure. uh, you know so it, there, there are trade-offs but but that, that sort of blew my mind the first time i went down there well yep. you said somebody in new mexico was like one what was the to a thousand yeah that's just wild mm-hmm. those cows are like athletes they're hunting and pecking okay no. they run a marathon to water every morning <laughs> yeah, every evening no, exactly no that you know it's amazing how much difference there is, is you know between different kinds of country and and what you can run across but you know like i said we've we've been really blessed that that uh, that country stays good most of the time um you know if we like I say if we get a little bit of rain um uh, and uh, it's pretty good Good stuff. So how'd you get to be the executive director of Ranching Heritage Center? Man, they, they just made a wrong choice somewhere <laughs> along the line. Uh, no, uh, you know, I've been, I've been blessed with an incredible career. Um, you know, graduated from big, uh, Hereford high school in 1992. And, and, uh, um, I wasn't sure I was, had some really strong, I was in really involved in 4-H and FFA. 
Um, that was a big part of, of my high school career. And, and uh, so was really blessed. I, I really wanted to be on a livestock judging team. And so kind of looked at, at several opportunities uh, where I could have gone, you know, to junior college. And, and uh, so, uh, uh, but wound up here at, at Texas Tech and, and, uh, um, so wound up. I started off. I, I was going to be a, a pre-vet major, and mm-hmm. uh, same, really, yeah, no, chemistry, yeah, chemistry, yeah, yeah that, that yeah. me too, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I had always, I, I, you know, straight A student in high school, mm-hmm. uh, got to that first uh, or you know, big chemistry class. Yeah. It just did not click for me, and I cut my losses. I did not try to stay. I, I'm a risk averse man. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So if he's honest, he looked at what the hourly meter would say for an attorney versus a vet. Yeah, and I'm no, pretty sure. That's how you made yeah, this decision. You probably, you probably made the better choice. <laughs> I worked sure. at that clinic, and yeah. I said, "This the math ain't mathing." You know, <laughs> that's yeah. a good one. Absolutely. So, uh, but so it d- did change. Uh, actually, wound up uh, graduating with an ag communications degree, okay. um, which kind of fit my skill set, and and uh, um, and then I stuck around and got a master's in ag ed, mostly because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so, but it's been a great opportunity. I, I uh, had a great uh, you know, uh, experience and, and education here at Tech, you know, amazing professors that kind of set me up to um, to go do some incredible things. Um, I was working in the uh, dean's office uh, in grad school. That was my assistantship. And part of my duties at the time was um, actually taking all the job notices that would come into the dean's office and through the different departments and i packaged them into a newsletter little heads up there huh (laughs) yeah absolutely you know but but the nice thing was i got to see all the job announcements first and uh and so there were some job opportunities there a couple of jobs that came in for the american quarter horse association um and i was a horse you know crazy kid uh, read every horse book that you you know could mm-hmm. ever name you know um, the black stallion all, mm-hmm. all, all of the smoky uh, uh, every horse book i could get hold of every one of those yep. yes yeah and uh, so so you know as huge horse you know horse crazy kid i didn't i knew nothing about showing um, and, and that side of the industry, but, uh, went up, I became the sponsored programs manager, uh, for the American quarter horse association. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. That was an amazing opportunity because I essentially went to a horse event every weekend. Wow. Um, and so I would load up on a, on a Thursday or Friday, I'd get on an airplane and, uh, you know, I'd go to a barrel race or a, a raining event, a cutting event, um, rain cow horse. I mean, I got to see every uh, dressage um, because I managed all of our sponsorships with those, so with those groups. So I saw it all. What years was this? Uh, so I was doing that from, say, 90. I started in 97 and, and did that for a couple of years. Okay. Um, you know, so I, I literally to this day have friends all across the country and in every horse you know arena, discipline. arena and discipline you can mm-hmm. think of wow. because of that opportunity and and uh, so i just i'm always grateful for that what's, um, your, fa- what's your favorite horse my favorite horse i mean i can't you can't say breed because it's going to be a quarter horse right. but like what color a horse or what kind of horse within uh, well i mean I, you know i love the the horses that kind of come from you know, the working disciplines, okay. uh, you know, and they all have their, gen, you know, genesis and, and sort of working disciplines, but some of them have become, you know, events up unto themselves. But I still like, the, I love the horses that still have their working clothes on, um, you know, so I love the horses that compete in the ranch horse events. You know, my, my boys show, I show a little bit, you know, and, and, and you know, I go drag calves on my show horse um, and then, and then we go show. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, well, I know. like a line back done. That's, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, like yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, color-wise, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for just a solid bay. Yeah. Um, I love Amen. just a, my, my, my grandfather, in fact, he finally bought a sorrel when he was uh, older in life, and, and this, this horse kind of paced a little bit, and so he was easy to ride and, and yeah. soft. But, but before that, we always had pretty much bays. just bays. Yeah, um, and, and that's just – that's probably still my favorite. Okay. Um, I always like to say Sarles and Bays are innocent until proven guilty. All those other colors are guilty until proven innocent. That, that, yeah. I get that. Yeah. yeah. 
Now we had we had a, a horse that we showed for several years um, that was gray, um, and he you know basically was white by the time I owned him. I bought him when he was nineteen, um, but he you know he was an amazing horse. I mean, I could yeah. do anything on him, and I could put anybody on him. Yeah. Um, I brought him out here and did demonstrations for kids and everything, and and uh, so he was an amazing horse. But bathing him was a total pain in the butt because you know <laughs> being gray and basically white uh-huh. you know and he always loved to roll in the stall so oh, yeah. i mean we had to bathe him pretty much every day at a show but um but i love you know yeah i love the horses and and being able to be part of that so i love that culture and yeah, just getting to be around experience. amazing amazing horses it the only bad side of it was it really drove up my uh um you know, the qualities that I appreciate in a horse. And so mm-hmm. I can't afford the ones I really yeah, like that's anymore. Not cheap, it's not, a, yeah, it's not a cheap, uh, cheap uh, hobby. hobby. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I, I, I did that for a couple of years. I also had an amazing opportunity. Um, you know, the core horse association has state affiliates in basically every state. In mm-hmm. fact, you know, Texas has multiple affiliates. Um, and so I went around, I did strategic planning for those affiliates. And so I do like a three day strategic planning session. Um, so that was an amazing training ground for me. I, I still use, um, you know, that strategic planning, um, that I, you know, was exposed to, um, in this job today and a lot of things that I, I'm able to do. Um, and then I, uh, heard through the grapevine that the editor of the core horse journal was going to be leaving. And, uh, um, and so I went and applied for that job and uh, became the, the editor of the American Quarter Horse Journal. And so um, I actually wrote and pho- photographed and edited the journal for about 10 years um, solely. Uh, and then I took over um, the editor of the Racing Journal left. And so I, I started editing the Racing Journal. Um, I uh, um, My group was also responsible for all the show programs and, and um Eventually, um, when I left AQHA, I was the senior director of marketing and publications. And so pretty much everything that went out of the building from website to blogs and podcasts. And uh, we did uh, at the time we did eight email newsletters weekly, um, all of that stuff generated from our team. And, and so it was just a great experience and, and being part of the industry. And that's awesome. That's good stuff. Jim Brad, I really appreciate you being on with us today. You bet. I, I can't say enough about an appreciation of what you do and what the, the Ranching Heritage Center does, you know, for case, education of agriculture and a lot of what we talked about today. So I'm floored. This has been educational. It's been fun. I can't wait to sneak off and go check out every exhibit. This is wonderful. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to go jump on a mule, a Kawasaki one, not, not an actual <laughs> mule. But, uh, it, uh, we'll go jump on a mule and we'll go take the grand tour and, yeah. and I'll show you the backside. Awesome. awesome. Look forward to having you on again in the future. Nope. Appreciate uh, all y'all do. Uh, we just uh, really appreciate our partnership with Capital Farm Credit for this uh, podcast and, and getting the word out to folks and and uh, appreciate y'all as well. So uh, thanks for having me on. Thank thanks you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us today on Capital Roots. Texas agriculture is the foundation of our story and what makes us family. Capital Farm Credit is a proud member of the farm credit system. We finance farmers, ranchers, agricultural producers, and rural landowners, and we're here to make your vision a reality. We've been serving rural Texas for more than a century. Whether it be traditional, innovative, or lifestyle, we'll help you cultivate new ground. We're all in this together. Because together, we're better.